This is the call for freedom. This is the call for your truest, most authentic self to step forward. This is the call to turn inward and face the darkness and the light that lives within. You're listening to the Divinity Unbridled Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs. My mission is to awaken and inspire your truth from within. I'm bringing you real, unfiltered access to the cosmos and the underworld to the sacred union of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and to the pathway home to the fullest parts of your soul. Get ready to go deep. Get ready to ignite your internal fire. Get ready to unleash your fullest self. It's time to step into the truth of who you are. I see you, and your soul is beaming. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to have you back. For anyone who's watching that uh, didn't see your interview, they can uh, listen to that on the podcast. And we're doing something a little bit different today. And we're going to turn the tables and you're going to interview me, which uh, is a change of pace for me because I'm usually the one asking the questions. So we're going to focus this first part of the interview around the first chapter of my book, My Divinity Unbridled. And I'm really excited to dive in and see what comes through. Well, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. We've been discussing your beautiful book uh, for many months (laughs) before the publication in March. And as you can see, I have all kinds of <laughs> markers. It feels like every, every line, every page is noteworthy. Thank you. Um, and I just want to take a minute and show this cover. <laughs> so beautiful. And I really feel that it captures the essence of who you are. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So you describe divinity, my divinity unbridled, as the love story of your soul. And I would love to have you share how and where it begins. Yeah, it's funny. I was sort of just turning through the pages of this chapter this morning just to kind of drop into the essence of what it shares and the first uh, little mini chapter within it is really now. Mm -hmm. And so I got a taste of, of what now would be when I first started channeling the book without knowing that that's where I was heading. And that's where I started to channel my first birth in all of existence. And it's not something I had ever experienced before or known about or heard about and it just one day in in meditation that it just started streaming through and it really took me out into the stars into the divine and it took me into creation it took me into the love of 
source that we hear about, but it was, I felt it for the first time, what that huge, unconditional, overpowering source of love felt like to just be held and to be a part of that existence Mm -hmm. and not be my own Mm -hmm. being yet. It was just love. Mm -hmm. And so the birth part of that was, was feeling what it felt like. It was sort of like, I think I describe it as, as if I'm like swaying in the ocean or I'm laying on my back in the ocean and you're just in the undulation of all that is. Mm -hmm. And then there was turbulence and there was shaking and there was almost like an earthquake of source. And I could feel myself being separated all of these bits of it being separated into our own, what I call spirits or souls. And the experience of that is, was so moving. And then as I was being separated, I noticed that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I felt that this is the whole experience as I'm channeling and I'm writing it all as it's happening Mm -hmm. and something was wrong. And I, I was being divided. I was being split in half Mm -hmm. and the feeling of, of being separated, of being torn in two from that place of such wholeness, the remembering of that was so tragic. Mm -hmm. It felt so heartbreaking and so real. Like I said, it's I've never experienced anything like it. And it was just, real Mm. and so that was my birth into existence and really that separation of of my being into two beings and that's what I'm calling the twin soul um, is I have me and I have this other half of me and we're both whole we're not empty missing pieces yet there is this eternal divine unconditional connection that is like looking at yourself in the mirror it's the perfect piece i feel like you're describing something hannah that so many people are will be if not already are intrigued by and so, of course, I would love for you to talk more about that. And before you do, I'm, you know, you described swimming in that sea of, of unconditional love. I mean, yeah. that feels like a place where we would all love to find ourselves. And I'm wondering if you can share, you know, if there was something that kind of set you up for that like in the very beginning of Miss whole awakening yeah or, okay <laughs> I, yes yes yeah. I, I know you've also described this as a radical awakening and yeah. so people listening I imagine they're really curious like what what led up to that yeah well I grew up in a household. My mom is very spiritual. She's very soulful. She's very 
connected and tapped in Mm -hmm. and she's surrounded by people who are similar. And so I grew up aware and surrounded of that, but I never felt, I never felt like I got it. It never made sense to me. I felt like I was missing something. I felt like maybe that just wasn't for me, sort of agnostic, wasn't an atheist, but I didn't, I did not like the word God. I did not associate with it. I did not, it didn't move me. In fact, it sort of repelled me. And a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago, I was doing my mom's she does a recalibration cleanse and it's sort of looking at the map of your life in all these different areas for the year and sort of setting up what you really want to cultivate and invite in for the year. And one of the things that just kind of wrote itself down was I want a connection to the divine. I was like, Hmm, Hmm. that's an interesting (laughs) request because I've never, like I said, I've never really had that desire. It didn't, resonate with me. And three weeks later, I got hit in the face with that twin soul recognition in person. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was the catalyst Mm -hmm. of awakening. It was, a single moment, you know, people talk about, sometimes we have these moments in life where our our path just completely changes direction. And that was it for me. I was going this direction and it didn't knock me off the path. It literally diverted me a whole different direction. And that was the catalyst for me. And sort of the, the awakening part of that was seeing myself. That's what that initial recognition was. It was seeing myself raw, without the layers of all of my stories for the first so, time. It was an actual meeting of, of an embodied. <laughs> yeah. Human, <laughs> not, not made up in my head. <laughs> that you recognize as your twin. Yeah. And immediately recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really the catalyst for me. It, it this is a journey of self. And we'll talk, I'm sure, a lot about that because that's what the book is about, is really the love story of me, of my soul, of remembering who I am, of reclaiming who I am, of embodying who I am, and really facing all of the pieces of me that I thought belonged to me that really are not part of the divine me. So it sounds like the meeting of your twin was a catalyst for this radical awakening and journey to wholeness of self. Yeah, it was interesting. It was like immediately I started getting up and and watching the sunrise and I started connecting to the moon. And it was like I was getting pieces without maybe being conscious of it because I wouldn't say I had the, the words for any of this at that point in time, I just could feel it. But I, my life just changed and the way that I saw the world just changed and it was broader, it was more curious, it was more open, uh, was more devastating. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, so just so much more of everything heightened. It sounds like you were beginning to see through the eyes of your soul. Yes. Very, I would say slowly at first, or maybe sort of unconsciously. I didn't, like I said, I didn't have words for it and I didn't know what the experience was, but now looking back over the last three and a half years, that's exactly what it feels like. Just little bits at a time would come through Mm. just little moments of remembering and then it would disappear. Hmm. Well, I'm wondering how you found reference points to understand what you were experiencing. Hmm. Well, a lot of it was internal, mm-hmm. internal knowing. Um, I tried to avoid too much research online because I feel like other people's experiences sometimes unless it's very pure and clear, they can taint your own experience or you, they can influence. Um, and so I don't remember where I found that wording because it's not something I had ever heard before, even though I knew the wording of, of the twin soul, which I've since come to understand is mm-hmm. a thing. And it's actually a, a word that's tossed around a lot that I, uh, I don't personally dis- or I don't personally agree with a lot of the ways that it's talked about now that I've learned mm-hmm. that people are experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it was just it's just pure, just pure divine love and remembering of what that feels like. So I don't know that I have a specific way I had remembered it. It felt very just organic to my evolution. Well, I think the term channeling is interesting. I mean, we've heard that term for a while now. And often when we hear about channeling, it's the channeling of some other, you know, being or entity. Yeah. And it feels like what you channeled into your book has really been the story of your soul. Yeah. Since from the beginning from the beginning since your original birth yeah and yeah i wonder if you want to say more about birth original birth soul birth <laughs> rebirth yeah well so i described the original birth and the birth and then the separation and the way i experienced that as i'm if we're you know in quotes calling it channeling was i i fully feel like I'm out in that experience. So I'm not just hearing it or picturing it. It's like, I almost leave this body and I go there. Mm -hmm. And so the first experience was the, what I describe as my pink star spirit in the book. And that's my, that's my truest essence. And she's divine and she's pure and she's beautiful. And she has a different voice than my soul. And so the way I channel all of, all of me is by including all of her, my soul, my spirit, and then the divine. And so the first, my first life, which I described the first life and my current life in the book. And the first one, I remember the transition of being in the pink star spirit and coming into earth and being a soul 
-hmm. So to me, that's sort of the difference is they're always connected, but I can, I can distinctly remember the, the feeling. And it's almost like there's a blend between the two of the spirit and then stepping into an embodied being here on earth. And so my first birth was, I was a sea snail, <laughs> which I think is so uh, adorable because <laughs> it's so not what I would pick from. I'd be like, I was a magnificent like lion or I was a, I don't know, something, a tree, but a snail at Did the bottom of the ocean. How you describe it in the book. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it was just so sweet and pure to remember the way that my it's like the first birth you are totally pure you have no karmic anything there's no remembering of anything hurtful or painful or negative or it's just pure beauty and so the way I describe it is like I'm a snail and I'm in this shell and I I'm curious and I kind of poke my head out and I'm just mystified just can't believe how beautiful earth is. Mm. <laughs> and that just felt so sweet to, to remember the purity of who we all are from that source of love and how even though something so small, a snail, so, you know, tiny little thing can have this experience really makes you start to understand that every single thing and being on earth is important and it has something to say and conscious and, and is just purely love. So it's an embodiment of love. That's how I hear this, a, a, a pure innocence with a consciousness. Yeah. And it, that I would say I, it was a very short little remembering it. It didn't need to be long, but it was profound in that we are, every single thing is just an embodied consciousness of love mm -hmm. and part of this huge whole. Mm -hmm. We get to be both because we're here on earth. And then you describe your, your, your birth into this life. Yeah, so I, I go back out into the stars and, <laughs> and I, you know, I, it's almost like I'm out in the stars and I'm looking at the earth. I guess kind of what you would describe like from the International Space Station, but farther out. And I remember seeing this flashing light, this little beacon of light just calling to me. And I just knew it was her. I knew it was my mom. And after reading that, she said, the same, you know, she said the same thing. She could hear me. And so that was the remembering of choosing one another, me choosing her and her choosing me to really come together in this life and step into the purpose of sharing consciousness of love and what that really means and what that looks like in an embodied form and is a sovereign individual. And then as unified groups of people and collectively what, what we can really step into and what the potential holds. And so same thing I remember coming from as a spirit blending into a soul and coming into her belly and feeling 
feeling what that feels like in the womb and in, in the safety and the protection of the unconditional love of the mother, mm. which is really the unconditional love of that source energy that I was feeling at the beginning. That's what I was wanting to ask you, how you, how you experience that as similar or different. Yeah, it's almost, it's, I would say it's almost identical because you can feel yourself, same thing, in the sway of that ocean and in the sway of the womb and the way that she moves and the way that she laughs and sings and speaks. Mm-hmm. And my mom is so beautiful <laughs> that I just got to be, I got to be part of that, part of her, and then step into me. And then you described the third birth, which you've touched on earlier in this conversation. And that feels like truly what you're, what the story's about. Yeah, the rebirth. The rebirth, (laughs) the rebirth of your soul and the coming into the wholeness. Yeah, and what I describe as the divine me. It's the remembering of all of these things that make me pure, that make me whole, that make me love, and the clearing of all of the things that are not, which is really where the work is. Cause we can, we can all dream up of living in that love and the light and la da la, that's so beautiful. But really the meat is, lives in the soul and the soul is anchored in between the dark and the light from my experience. Yeah. And I wonder if this is a time to talk about some of that because you know, when we hear your story, we hear the divine love and the beauty and the, you know, the, the, that experience. And, and I know that the process of transformation is a clearing as you've described. It is the work. And I wonder if you want to say anything about that. Yeah, it's, it's an area I feel like we're missing a lot of in the talk of spirituality and of consciousness is what it actually feels like to wake up because it's not, it's not easy and it's not comfortable uh, to really, I'll speak for myself only, but my, from the moment that I had that initial catalyst, the remembering, I would get little bits of information and then it would disappear. And so you think that you have gathered something or you think you know, and then it's gone and you're left blank again. Mm -hmm. And that process in and of itself is sort of excruciating. And then really what I, what I feel like is the, the opening and the pathway to the full embodiment and remembering of the soul is the dark night of the soul, which is where the ego dies. The ego gets laid to, to rest. It's, And it's not ego in a bad way. It's just ego as a personality. The the thing that we thought we were, it's not there. It goes away and you're left with nothing, really, is my experience. It was like, well, if I'm not that, I'm just sitting here in in the darkness and nothing. And that is devastating. It's, I think you're describing perhaps one of our greatest fears, <clears throat> you know, um, why we 
resist <laughs> everything <laughs> and that process you know yeah. the fear of the nothingness that yeah the, and at that first anything in the in the void in the nothingness yeah and then you'll just be nothing forever mm-hmm. and at first it is really excruciating mm-hmm. and that to me is where the potency and the magic lives is having the courage to turn toward that part of the self and to go in. And to me, that's the difference from all these things I've been describing on the stars. To me, that's ascension. That's remembering these external things that have happened. And this part is, is going in and it's going down and it's going into the dark and the shadows and sort of peeling back the many layers of curtain to see what's really inside. And the nothingness is kind of where that starts. You sit in the nothing until something reveals itself in the shadow. And I wonder if you might share how you had the courage or the faith to do that descent. It's a question people ask me a lot and it kind of makes me laugh because I don't feel like I had a choice. Mm-hmm. It, it was yeah. never a question. Mm-hmm. And I do hear a lot that people say that they are fearful or um, that it feels really hard and it is hard. And for me, there was just no other option. It was, my soul came in with a very strong will to whatever I'm going to do here on earth. I have no clue, but she's, she came in with a strong purpose and a will to clear that very quickly. And it was almost like she just charged right through me and my human brain had no say. And it is like birth, like labor, you know, once labor begins, there's no turning back. There was no turning back. <laughs> as excruciating as it is, there's only forward. Yeah. And I feel like if, if we can have the courage and the fortitude to, to keep stepping forward, even through the dark over and over, you know, dep- doesn't matter how long the dark is, just to keep going forward it will be much more easeful because you're moving in the direction that your soul is, is leading you. And that was, I followed that. Mm -hmm. I follow that direction. I follow that push to do that. Otherwise you come up with a lot of resistance and you're just fighting it. And ultimately I believe that if your soul comes here wanting to learn something, you're going to learn it one way or the other. So if it can be, a courageous choice instead of a fight and a battle, I'm going to pick the first option. (laughs) How did you care for yourself during that process? Hmm. Well, I remember my first real deep, what we're calling dark night of the soul, real ego death. I feel like I had lots of mini ones, but my first one came almost two years into the process. So it was a lot of kind of just fumbling around for the first two years, which I think is pretty normal to just have no clue kind of what's going on. And 
the first one happened right around Christmas. And so I was kind of had a little bit of time. Work is quiet during that time. So I had the space to just be and to be in the nothingness and to be in the devastation and to be in the heartbreak and the total unknown of who I was and the, the losing. It's really a loss of who I thought I was. And I thought I was pretty great. So that was a big <laughs> loss. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like my self-confidence, I, I had, I would say, a healthy amount. I wasn't self-deprecating before. And so to lose all of the things I had worked for at, in terms of my personality and who I presented myself to the world as, it took space. Mm-hmm. And this process requires a lot of space and it requires a lot of alone time and solitude and just being, being okay with, with unknown. So my time was spent in a lot of physical nothingness too. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to describe how you saw yourself before this awakening how you operated as that personality and in that identity. What was your life like before? Oh, my life was so beautiful. I had, I'm an only child. And so I developed a a very strong sense of self and self-identity with perfectionism and people pleasing in a way that I thought was great. It was pleasing teachers and pleasing parents and getting great grades and winning all my horse show competitions and doing all the things I was good at. You name it, I could do it. And if I couldn't do it, I didn't do it. It was, it was an absolute dedication to being as perfect as possible, mm. which I used to think was the goal that to me was like, okay, you've, you've made it. If you can be as perfect as possible and be kind there, that's it. And so I, that's how I saw myself. I saw myself as the one who showed up as the one who handled things, who took care of things, who was organized and diligent and fierce and that it's not that that's not true. And that's the funny thing about the ego death or the death of the person personality is that it's not that those things are not true. It's that they all have to go away so that it can step. Any of those things that are true for who I am could step through. I don't know if you can see me. I'm like moving from this, my, this solar plexus This is where to me, that's where the soul steps out from. And so those, those traits can still be part of who we are if they are part of who we are and they come through from an embodied sense versus a, a feeling of doing it because we need to have approval or wanting to be liked or wanting to be part of the crowd and follow what other people are going to approve of. To me, that's the external validation. All of those things that I, I was, was for external validation. It was not because that gave me a sense of love for myself. 
I think that's a, a wonderful distinction. Yeah. And I, I, yes, I believe that's pretty much all of our conditioning. Yeah. It's fascinating, really, when you think about, I mean, really, it comes down to control is why we've been conditioned that way of external sources wanting to have control over who we are. And I feel like that's been passed down for so long that it has just become completely normal. And the radical idea that it really doesn't matter what anyone thinks about you, if you are moving from who you are, which I believe is pure and kind and whole and loving. And who cares? Who, who cares what anyone else has to say? But that's the key part of that statement for me. Who cares what anyone thinks because I am moving and living and being and breathing and speaking from the most pure, beautiful part of me? Thank you. Thank you for really clarifying and affirming that. So this feels like a, a beautiful time to speak of self-love. Mm. Self-love, yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's self-love, self-care terms that, I, that are tossed around so much. And there are aspects of it that I think is great, that it's becoming more part of awareness of many people. And for me, self-love is not just affirmations in a mirror and it's not just tending to my whims of what feels good. That's part of it. But to me, self-love is really the fierce devotion of turning toward myself over and over and over again and being so clear with who I am and who I'm not, that I can love all of who I am. And I can love and give back the pieces that are not mine. To me, that's what self-love is. It's opening myself up to me and holding all of who I am and then expressing that into the world. I wonder if you might distinguish for the listeners um, between soul, ego, soul, and spirit. Mm. Mm -hmm. How you experience those distinctions. I'm closing my eyes because I'm going to drop into each of them as I talk about them because they have completely different mm, energetic ways that they reveal themselves to me. So the ego is, uh, I would describe it as, I'm going to describe physical first, is that it feels almost like a heightened adrenaline uh, kind of grippy feeling, sensation. It's, it's tight and, and it's the one who wants to control. It's the one that often is fueled by fear, even if it's not conscious but it's fueled by, again, the need to be liked, which is a fear of not being liked. Mm -hmm. It's fueled by competition, which is a, a fear of losing things. It's fueled by 
scarcity, all these things that maybe we're not as conscious of. So that's the per the personality. It's who most of us are conditioned to be throughout maybe middle childhood into adulthood. Cause I think children don't have that. They're very pure. And perhaps fueled by the fear or the belief of not being enough. A hundred percent, not being enough, not being worthy, not being valuable. And so to me, the ego, it's the loudest and it's also the most afraid. I, it's different than the mind to me. The mind is trainable. The ego kind of, in my experience, kind of has to go away temporarily. Um, the soul is full. The soul I experience really as this container of my human body. She fills me out from the inside out. And she is brave and she is devoted and she is, <clears throat> excuse me, that fierce, unconditional shows up for me always. That's the way I experience the soul. It's like, like a lioness. She steps through my body and it's, it's fully embodied experience. The spirit to me is, I'm going to describe it as external just for the purpose of this conversation, even though there's no separation. The spirit for me is the one who is witnessing every single thing and every realm and every dimension and every lifetime, all of the things that are happening. And she's the one communicating and orchestrating to make sure that my soul has the experience that she came to have. And so the communication between them is constant, whether I'm aware of it or not. And so now I can, I mean, I can hear right now, I can hear the ego and the mind and the soul and the spirit in all different forms. And it's funny, this, the ego kind of sits over here in my right hand, which is weird. It's like a, mm -hmm. like a hammer. Like she just wants to control things. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. That's nice. You're gonna just be still and be quiet. And then the soul, the soul is here on earth. Soul is, is, is the self we embody. Yes, the soul is the one we embody and the spirit is equally divine but gets more of a bird's eye, mm -hmm. high level view. Sometimes I think of the spirit as a scout. Yeah. <laughs> Having the ability to um, travel. Oh yeah. Unbound by the body and able to exist in all time, nonlinear time. Nonlinear time and present and future. And I think really the the communication between the soul and the spirit is why if we can get connected to the soul and it's why I talk about the soul so much, they're communicating whether we know it or not. And so if we can get connected to the soul, the soul will guide us. The soul will give us the courage and the faith to really drop in and be who we are, where we are without whether you access the voice of the spirit or not. So where does the twin soul fit into all this now? Hmm. Well, my 
experience of the separation, which is what I described at the very, very beginning of our talk is, that's really the false, the falsehood of this whole journey is that that's not actually true. And the twin soul for me, the experience has been to remember that masculine being in myself and to find wholeness in myself and to feel what that initial birth as one really was. To me, that's what, <clears throat> what union has been, is stepping into that whole masculine and feminine embodied, and I, I feel it as a spiral, really stepping in and supporting one another. And we are not in communication. So this, like I said at the beginning, this is an internal journey. This is not about a romantic love story with somebody else. This is, this is love of the eternal me mm -hmm. and remembering really what that is and what that feels like and what it speaks like. And Now, I mean, I can hear, I can hear the different voices, you know, he, the masculine has a very different voice than the feminine in this, in my being of this twin soul dynamic. And so I can hear both. I get guidance from him and from her. They're this, they're just as my soul and my spirit communicate, the two of them communicate. And so I can tune in and, and really get clear on what is true and what is mine to let go of. And that's to me where the magic of this kind of dynamic, if that is some, what someone's experiencing, is that it's ultimately not meant to just be a physical relationship that you're seeking out. It's continually diverting you back into yourself so that you can remember this non-separation and then ultimately non-separation with everyone. So it's non-separation with this piece of you that you thought was separated from you, remembering the union of that, which to me then leads you to the union with the collective, with consciousness, with source, with love. And so it feels like the journey that you're describing is the initial separation mm -hmm. from that place of wholeness. Yeah, it, and it really is. Back to union within yourself. Yeah, it's this whole journey is, and I believe all of our journeys of being human, it's the opportunity to remember the wholeness of self because even if someone doesn't have this twin soul experience there's still things that are keeping people separated from being whole whether it's trauma or illusions or stories or karmic history i mean there's so many pieces that keep us in this feeling of being separated and being divided and 
that's to me, that's the opportunity of being human. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why we're here. You know, we ask what's the purpose of life. To me, the purpose of life is to feel this limited capacity of being human and to then remember the infinite capacity of who we are in our fullest, wholest, most alive, most pure, most beautiful state. Mm -hmm. And then to live that. I've known you since before you were born. <laughs> and I agree, you, you had a wonderful life up until this point of the radical awakening. Yeah. And what I notice, uh, I, I, I experience you as being more alive from the inside out. And I, I see you, I experience you, you having a lot more fun with life. Well, I, yes, absolutely. And I think that a lot of that comes from when you go through the experience of losing who you thought you were, there's, and then remembering who you are, there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. When you remember who your eternal, most vibrant self is, and you live from that, what else is there? Aside from helping other people remember that in themselves. And, and there's maybe, nothing to be afraid of. And maybe one of the key words is, is freedom. Oh, my favorite that's, word these days. That's what I really <laughs> think this, this really ecstatic freedom. Yeah, it is. It's, it's ecstasy. It's freedom beyond physical divide anything that just limits us here on earth is this much of a fraction of what freedom is to me freedom is the clearing of karma that's a big one because we could say we want to be free here on earth and there's stuff that has to be faced and so it's the clearing of karma it's the clearing of trauma from this life or pain from this life and it's the courage to step into all of who we are in our full expression and to live that every moment of every day as truth you know truth and freedom and love to me are all intertwined for devoted to love we are devoted to being true to ourselves and we're devoted to being true to what the truth of others is and not controlling that and that leads us to freedom it's beautiful hannah i want to ask you two more questions if i may before we finish this time together um wondering what you would offer to someone who is interested in this experience how you might encourage them to invite the experience if that's something that someone wanted i'm going to clarify do you mean the awakening experience or the twin soul experience the awakening experience. okay mm-hmm. the awakening experience 
Uh, first, I think there's something in you that has to want it. I mean, some people are just going to be kind of hit like a bus and into awakening, but if we can choose it, it can be more fun, even in the times that are not so fun. So first I would say there's got to be a desire to, to turn inward and to uncover and to have curiosity about what, what might be true and what might be false in the way that we're living. And I think it really starts with giving time and space to be alone, to be still and to really hear or begin to hear what's going on internally beyond the mind. And so some people experience that as meditation. I think that's part of it, but to me, it's, it's really choosing to turn inward and to kind of dive into the self. And I think a lot of people need some kind of guidance for that because that is a scary thing if you've never done it before. Yeah. Lifelines. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I was talking with my mom about this the other day. It's, it's like, having someone who's a flashing light, a beacon for you, whether they're actively guiding you or not, is not really the point. It's just something, an anchor almost to, to remind you that even when you're in the darkest, dark shadow, painful, excruciating times, you're still safe. You're still whole. You're still lovable. Mm -hmm. You're still all of these things and valuable you're just going through kind of the muck mm -hmm. transformation. Yeah. It's not, it's not comfortable. And so to have, have that reference point of, Oh yeah. Okay. I can, it's safe for me to keep going. It's safe for me to be courageous mm -hmm. and it's safe for me to devote myself to me. I know there's so much more about the book that we would love to talk about and we will. And I'm wondering if you want to close today by talking about where your vision, what your vision is for going forward. Well, I have a few visions forward. Uh, I guess I'll speak first towards my vision of what I see as possible for the world. Mm -hmm. And my vision really is for people to face themselves. And I feel like if we can all take responsibility for ourselves and our own journey and our own wounds and our own karma and our own lessons, then we can step back into the world healed and we can step back into the world of purpose and we can step back into the world as a beacon for other people who are making the courageous choice to step into something that's more conscious and that's easier said than done because of all the things that are happening in the world. But that's to me, that's the most important piece because when we are in that state of total absolute devotion and love of self, we're able to accept 
the things that are happening and show up in service of making it better, making it more kind and more equal and more, more loving. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's the key word service. Yeah. And we can't be of service. It's like put the mask on yourself before you put it on someone else. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the perfect analogy of showing up for life is you can have this great desire to make an impact mm -hmm. and to help someone else. And it doesn't mean you have to stop that, you know, completely, mm -hmm. but until you do that for yourself and until you embody that total love of self and that total acceptance and celebration really of who you are, it's, it's amazing. It's such a gift and it's, then you can offer that to someone else and you can, be of service to your community, your friends, your family, the world, and continue the things that you really wanted to change and make an impact through. And I know that that's what you're beginning to do personally and professionally. Yeah. Offer yourself in service. Do you want to say anything about that before we say goodbye today? Sure. I, yeah, it's funny. I have no attachment anymore to how life is going to shake out, which is such a, a shift for me from where I was three years ago, feeling so fixed on what my life path was. And so I'm really just following what, what is coming through my soul every day. And I have kind of two facets of, of what that is right now. One is Divinity Unbridled, which is this podcast. And it's podcast, it's book, and I'm now doing one-on-one -on -one sessions called Sacred Witness. And so that's a three or six month path of, of turning toward the self that is guided, that is held, that's supported. And it's really a place where people get to be mirrored in the most beautiful parts of them so that there is sense of safety and remembering of courage in turning into the darkness. Mm. Um, and that I feel like is one of my gifts is I can see the most bright, pure essence of people, whether that's how they're showing up in the world or not. And so to have that reflected back is extremely powerful. And then to also be guided into the dark and to be supported down kind of in the pit of, of the soul and to know that you're not alone. So that's, that's something I've, I've started offering and it's beautiful. I feel like it's such a gift to watch people unfold and to hold that space for someone. I think if we could all do that for even just one person, the world would be a completely different place to really hold with such tenderness and compassion and non-judgment and no expectation of any results just showing up for what's present and what's true i feel like is is kind of my role it's beautiful hannah it's a beautiful gift and a beautiful offering and i do feel that that's what we all came here for to reflect our divinity no, I don't, I don't think any one of us is more special than the other. We're experiencing different things perhaps or remembering in different ways, but 
at the core, I mean, I can see it. At the core, we really are all completely equal, completely whole, and completely capable of showing up for one another in a way that is so far beyond the way that we're showing up right now in this lifetime, in this place on earth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you reflecting back some of these questions to me and our plan is to do a couple more of these because the book is divided into four parts. And so there's so much content. And so I, I think we'll, we'll have a couple more of these conversations, just talking about some of the other themes. Um, and what I would, I do want to say that if anyone wants to get the book, you can get it on Amazon and you can also get the click through link on divinityunbridled.com. And I would say, I also have this other, I don't know if you know about this, but I created this journal that goes with the book and it is, it's digital only and it's completely free, but it's 60 pages of incredibly beautiful and potent questions that if someone's looking to sort of getting, start getting curious of going inward, this would be a great place to start. And like I said, it's totally free. So this is on divinityunbridled.com. Yeah, it's like a really valuable resource. Yeah, it's, it's, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it feels like, like to, a gift. I'd like to say one more thing about the book. Okay. When you asked me to endorse it, I wrote on the back, reading divinity, my divinity unbridled, it's like drinking star. And that's the experience. I had with it and that's that's what I look forward to talking about as we go forward me too thank you that experience of being with the essence of the stars yes yeah all well, right thank you so much thank you it's an honor and I'm so grateful for you and I love you so mm -hmm. dearly I love you my goddess daughter <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Divinity Unbridled. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be inspired through writing, speaking, and art, please follow me at Divinity Unbridled on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok, and subscribe to my newsletter at divinityunbridled.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.